Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by principal analysts Katie Tynan and David Johnson to discuss who should be driving EX in the organization. Welcome both. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I think it's great to be here. Before we get into the who, this work was actually rooted out of a piece of research that was titled Blueprinting an Employee-Centered EX Initiative. We want to get into who's going to do this, but I think it's really important for we just, before we get too far, is to set up for the audience because I think what we mean by employee experience may be a little confusing for some because there's some folks out there that just think it's a fancy phrase for HR. So to get us started, Katie, maybe you can just tell us exactly what we mean by employee experience and um, how it relates to HR. Yeah, it's a great question. And we do get that confusion all the time. And part of the reason is when you use the word employee, and people start to think about talent management and the talent life cycle, they immediately think about HR. But EX was actually born out of a tension that existed in organizations that started years and years ago about technology. And when I was living in the technology space and doing a lot of rollouts of technology, what we would see is the technology adoption wouldn't work particularly well, things wouldn't go particularly well, because no one was thinking about the employee experience. Nobody owned that idea of how does this feel to a person trying to do their job, a human being trying to do a lot of different things on a daily basis, to live in this ecosystem that comprises technology, but also the physical environment that we live in, but also the values and the culture culture and the organizational ecosystem that's around all of that. And at that time, a lot of HR teams were very compliance focused and very training focused. We hadn't yet reached that maturity space of talent and engagement. So there was just this unmet need in a lot of organizations of how do we get the humans to be able to do their best work? And that was nobody's job at that moment in time. So HR certainly today, mature HR practices think a lot about employee experience, but they cannot own it by themselves because it's just not all within their wheelhouse. And same with IT and same with facilities and same with CX practices. No one is really positioned necessarily to own the whole thing. So that's where we are today. And certainly there are some people who've just renamed their HR department's employee experience and said, checkity check, we're done. But that's not an effective strategy. So to be clear, this is not just an extension of the very important HR functions. We really are talking about an employee life cycle and the things that go with that, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. And in fact, it's the talent life cycle sitting over on one side spinning, which is entirely separate from the daily journeys and experiences that employees are having. And sometimes those wheels come together and intersect in moments that matter in particular points of an employee's journey. But oftentimes they are separate and they can't necessarily be conflated. And Dave, you talk about the experience, the employee experience. I guess we're talking about the the things around the talent life cycle that Katie just talked about. Tell us a little bit about 
how that experience meets the employee? What are some of the ingredients there? whole bunch of different things. I, I always think of it as the sum of all the perceptions that they have in working inside their organizations every day. And it's that daily journey, right, that we're trying to draw people's attention to. HR rightly focuses on the uh, the life cycle of that person when they come on board. I mean, they want them to come on board into an organization where they feel welcome, um, where they feel like they have a good orientation for what their role is going to be and, and what that work is going to look like. But it always seems to break down in what they experience as they go through their job every day. They realize that the, the daily grind of whatever that role might be is hard and they don't always feel enabled to be able to succeed. So our view on employee experience is it's about all those things that create success for that employee, right? That person's ability to be able to succeed within the organization. Do they have the resources both within themselves and within the organization to succeed? And it's different for different roles. And, and that's why it's hard to scale this sometimes. Different roles, um, you just said, but um, in your research, you even say it's like, this is different for every company, right? Because now I start to think in that space on like, we've told all of our clients, you need to develop that unique customer experience that's unique to your brand. Um, is that the same for employee experience? In a way, we are. It is It is bespoke for each organization. So very, very difficult to go to a company and say, hey, your employee experience should look and feel the same as others. You know, in the backdrop, though, is this reality that human psychology is everywhere the same, right? I mean, you, know, you have, you know, the way people respond to a smile or the way they respond to a respect, those things are the same, but the dynamic exists between them and the way they experience their organization as their manager, um, the technology environment, um, you know, their their metrics, all those things make up that that experience for them. Break it down for us, because, you know, if it's bespoke, there's things that are fundamentally awesome for every employee experience. And there's the things that you should change. Let's talk about the core ingredients for the people, the environment. Um, what are the things that are critical and uh, every company should consider? And what are the things that we really like? We tweak the dials to get the, the employee experience that's right for me. Yeah, I'm just going to build on something that Dave said, and I think it's super important as a starting point, which is that humans are humans. And there are some predictable things that we know about how humans are motivated, how we operate in social situations, which is really what work is. And a lot of our EX research is grounded in psychology, sociology, anthropology, because those are the things that influence our motivation. Those are the things that influence how we behave with other folks and based on what we're trying to do. But then beyond that, what type of organization are we talking about? Because a retail organization with folks who are out in front of customers is going to behave somewhat differently than, for example, a big consulting firm, which is in turn going to behave very differently than a manufacturing firm. And so the things that enable people's success are going to look different depending on the type of work the organization does, the value system that the organization has, the culture that the organization has, and the way the organization is structured. You could imagine, for example, that a 200-person organization is going to operate differently than a 200,000-person organization. And so all of those many things feed into that personalization aspect that's so important. So yes, at the foundational level, 
humans are humans and there are certain things we can anticipate. And then on top of that, there are all kinds of variables that make it a unique experience that needs to be designed intentionally for every organization. I completely agree with everything you said. The things like that are that are common that everybody really needs is recognition, right? To feel like their contributions are seen and they are uniquely seen and valued as individuals. Um, they need to have a supportive manager, right? They need to feel like they are part of an effective team, like that the team works well together. They need to have clarity <clears throat> about the, the goals and their role within it. I mean, all those things are universal. But as you pointed out, Katie, things like values could be very, very different between different organizations. The values that that uh, that cause one person to get out of bed in the morning um, in this organization may not, you know, be the same ones that get somebody out of bed in another organization. So those are the kinds of things that that often differ. Um, so just good examples, and the nature of the demands of their work are going to be different. Um, some roles are really emotionally demanding. I mean, think about a flight attendant, right? Passengers, when they're traveling, are not always the nicest people. They're stressed out, right? And so a flight attendant has to smile and display one emotion, maybe while feeling something completely different. Well, it turns out that's really demanding, right? And so you know, airlines that are really in tune with this, they make sure that that whole person is, is well cared for. Um, and that uh, if they're going through some kind of a crisis in their personal life or other things, they've got the time off that they need. They might even have a therapist assigned to them to make sure that they're going to be their best selves when they're there. This may be an obvious question, but all of the things that you just said in terms of so as a human and an employee make sense and are true, but have been true, right? To be able to perform at my best, I want to be in an environment that is, you know, I feel respected and what have you. So why, what is, is there an acute thing happening in addition to the pandemic? Because we know that that has accelerated some things, but, you know, maybe we can set that aside perhaps, or maybe it's contributing to this situation. Why is this now just occurring to leaders as something that needs to be managed? Yeah, so for many organizations, this is not new in the same way that CX is not new, but there are other organizations who have not paid attention to it or have not paid enough attention to it. And one of the things um, I wrote about recently is that we have been experiencing for the last probably two decades, a period of time, specifically in the United States, where talent is abundant because we had a large generation moving through the workforce. And that generation is now retiring and we see that exit impacting the supply and demand of talent in the workforce as a whole. And so what that means is all these habits that we developed about how we deal with talent when talent is generally abundant will not work when talent is scarce. You cannot do the same things that you were doing before. So certainly that's something that predates the pandemic and that I think is driving smart organizations to focus more on. The second is we have seen, and, and you can see lots of data around this, that more and more companies are being valued for their human capital 
rather than for their assets. So in the past, a company was valued for the things they had, their physical tangible assets. And now the bulk of an organization's value is their people, their human capital. And that is also driving a shift in how smart organizations are thinking about protecting that investment, nurturing that investment, growing that investment in a way that they didn't do in the past. So those things are really long-term, long-standing trends that are unrelated to the pandemic. But certainly the pandemic had an impact and is continuing to have an impact and is driving significant changes in terms of how people relate to their employers. So that's a factor too, but it's certainly not the only factor. You know, and our inquiry calls really bear a lot of this out, right? It's uh, the kinds of things that Katie and I have been fielding lately are things like that caught people by surprise. It's like I, I had a call with a, with a CTO of a company the other day who um, was just exasperated, I guess would be the word, or worried. Um, they had announced a return to office policy, right? And this person had a lot of technical people reporting to him. And uh, the, the policy was relatively arbitrary, you know, a number of days in a week that you got to be in there. And he lost half of his staff over the course of a week, right? Half of 65 people gone. Uh, they, they tended their resignations. He expected a few. He didn't expect half. And so the next question in people's mind is, what, what did we miss? I mean, you can think of all the rational reasons why that two or three day a week policy might make sense, right? Maybe the reasons why that might happen. But people don't think rationally, right? They think emotionally. How is that going to affect them? What's going to happen to me? And that's the part that's missing is, is putting that, that lens from the, the employee's perspective. How are they going to experience this that is missing? And I think, you know, right now that's really coming to the surface more because of some of these surprises that, that companies are experiencing. Yeah. And Dave, let's imagine for a minute, let's assume for a minute that that person who called you does not have an employee experience practice in their organization. And imagine that if they did, what would that employee experience practice have done that would have changed that conversation? The first thing that we typically see EX practices do is really significant listening programs. So rather than making an assumption writing a policy, rolling out the policy, and then getting the backlash, the unexpected backlash, you would intentionally go forth and listen to the folks in your organization and say, what do you think? How is this going to impact you? What are some of the different ways that you would be interested in seeing this work? And then using that to inform your policy. So that's not something that you would say, wow, Katie, that's such a surprising thing to do. But at the same time, what's surprising to me is that so few organizations do that in a disciplined way. And the result is that Dave and I continue to field calls from people who continue to be surprised when things like this happen. That sounds very rational. But, you know, just listening in the last few minutes, you know, starting to think is that some of what we described, some leaders would say these are these are these are soft, squishy things, you know. And even though they're very intuitive and, and very uh, rational, in some ways, I guess we have to bring up the pandemic because the pandemic put all companies in a particular situation. Uh, and then there's lots of other things going on around the world um, that are actually illuminating these issues. So before we leave this whole idea of, you know, listening and being aware of these programs, we're talking about all companies, right? Frontline workers, behind the scenes workers, IT, knowledge workers, every company in the industry should have some form of employee experience. 
Yeah, and in fact, what I'll say is employee experience is named employee experience because most organizations concern themselves, if they're looking at this at all, with their employees. But we also know that there is a, a more broad definition of the workforce and all of the people who are involved in getting your strategic operations done. And so there's a question also of workforce experience and your contingent workforce, your vendors and partners and the other folks. So there's even a broader spectrum to this, but all we're asking is that organizations start with the basics, which is these are your full-time employees. These are the people that you have made a significant investment investment in, in terms of hiring, in terms of supporting, in terms of making sure that they're well compensated. You've made all of these investments. Why wouldn't you do the things that make the most sense in terms of getting optimal productivity and getting optimal um, engagement and all of the other things that we measure related to that human capital? You know, Katie, when you and I did this research, we had a chance to interview a bunch of companies about what they were doing, right? What was it? And, you know, we put together this composite graphic of that sort of was a roll up of all these different capabilities, if you will, that these organizations had that they considered to be part of employee experience. Now, no company was doing all of them, right? Nobody was really doing all of them, but everybody had at least one piece or had one significant piece of one of them or more. And uh, listening was just one of those. Um, there are other parts as well, such as the, the ability to develop a strategy. So once you've listened, what do you do, right? You put together a strategy and you prioritize and hope is not a strategy, right? So you you have to, uh, you have to think through, okay, so we have a problem maybe with, um, with people feeling seen and recognized. How are we going to tackle that, right? What are we going to do? Is it, does it mean that we're just going to send people notes? What are the ways that the people experience being recognized? Is it through promotions? I mean, there's a whole bunch of ways. So there's this full spectrum of things. Your strategy has to include ways to improve that that are tangible, right? So we're talking about employee experience and we've touched on a few things that sound like, you know, some of these practices are actually applied when we, when we talk about customer experience initiatives or programs, listening to your employees, listening to your customers, voice of the customer. How many parallels can I should I be drawing here between these these two disciplines? Is that a, a dangerous path to go down or? Well, customer experience initiatives have been a really good boon to employee experience initiatives, right? A lot of times companies will get a long ways in their customer experience practice and realize that they are not going to get much further until they they tackle the things that are in the way from the employee side. And indeed, you know, our, our research into the CX index and, and the ways that companies have improved their CX index score, a lot of those are employee facing investments, right? So there's some tailwinds here, but it's important to understand, too, that they're not the same thing. And so, you know, if you're going to simply lift and shift your customer experience strategy and, and program over to employee experience, it's not going to give you what you think it will. And here's a, here's a real easy way to think about it. Um, you know, customers may interact with you once a year. They might interact with you once a week, right, depending on, on the nature of your business. And they're going to form impressions based on that. We want those interactions to be effective, to be easy, for people to feel good about them. But employees are there with your company every day for several hours a day for years at a time, right? So the range of things that will affect their emotions uh, and their willingness to give the best of themselves are pretty nuanced and pretty rich. And so it's an environmental thing. And so it's a totally different, uh, different thing to manage than customer experience is. Yeah, and I would just bolt on to that. I agree with all of that. I would add on the fact that certainly in the U.S. Um, and somewhat globally, 
our identities are so connected to what we do for work. So think about when you're introduced to a new person, what's the very first thing you ask them? What do you do? Who do you work for? And so if I work for an organization that has a great reputation and is doing wonderful things and they take really good care of me as an employee and I feel really aligned with their values, what am I going to say? I'm going to say my company is great. This is what I do. They're amazing. But if my company behaves badly, I'm going to feel shame because that's my identity. And one of the things that we see in our research as being really closely tied to engagement and productivity is the fact that you can say you feel proud to work for the company that you work for. That's a really different relationship than if we think about a customer experience where to Dave's point, if you bought a handbag or a book or a bottle of perfume and then discovered that that, in, that organization was doing something terrible in the environment or terrible in the world, you just throw that product away and stop using it. That's not what employees do. It's a much more connected experience. And there are a lot of things about that relationship that are different. So some of the practices look really similar. Some of the mechanics of the way we do EX are similar but the actual emotional journey and identity connection are profoundly different. No, one quick thing just to add on to that, you know, the, some of the things that are similar are the ways that you conduct research into the employee experience are very similar to the way you do it for customer experience, fielding surveys internally, doing employee journey mapping exercises, all those things paint a much richer picture of what that looks and feels like. It's just that managing it and executing on it uh, on what you find are different. Okay. So, I guess we've established that there's probably always been a desire for great uh, EX, but you know the reality is, and we talked about it, there's been a real confluence of needs. We came out of the pandemic. Uh, we have talent shortages. Katie touched on that. We have major cultural and society dynamics going on. We have demographic challenges, particularly over in Europe. And Michael Grady did a really great future of jobs report, like pointing some of that out. The list goes on. but without clear leadership for ex to tackle some of these issues they're probably largely systemic and particularly big companies um none of this gets done so let's have a little bit of debate because if this is a real leader with a meaningful budget and real focus some decisions have to be made i'm not so sure that hr owns this you guys both don't believe that who owns ex well, I come from a place of compassion here, um, you know, for, for HR. I would say that, you know, our data shows that uh, about 25% of the time, which is the largest percentage of, of all the potential stakeholders of EX is when, is when uh, HR owns it. But the reality is, you know, HR is not in a position to be able to do this by themselves, as you pointed out earlier, Katie. I mean, you think about the things that really influence an employee experience that's outside of HR's purview. That might be metrics, right? The way that people are measured, or it might be the technology environment that they work with. Those things have a huge impact on employee experience. Our data shows that, but the HR doesn't own that, right? So it has to be a, a bit of an overlay function. We've seen the rise of the chief experience officer, right? Is that the right answer? We don't know yet, um, but it is one that is that is coming to the surface and, and, uh, and growing in the industry as being a potential solution here. But again, that person is very unlikely to own all the pieces that are really needed. Really, the CEO is probably the primary stakeholder here. So 
I, I'm not going to take an incredibly contrarian opinion um, because I don't believe that HR owns EX for several reasons. I don't believe HR can own EX, first of all, because HR is too busy owning a hundred other things. So when we talk to HR practitioners about what's on their mind and it's engagement, it's recruiting, it's retention, it's talent management, it's compensation, it's compliance, it's training, it's upskilling, like it's so many things that yes, they care about employee experience, but it's not the first thing on their list. So they're willing co-conspirators and collaborators in a lot of cases. Sometimes they're concerned about competing for owning it, but most of the time when I talk to HR practitioners, just as Dave said, they're a little overwhelmed and they are trying to figure out where to spend the time that they have and the resources that they have. And the second reason HR can't own it is exactly because of what we just talked about. The disciplines that are necessary for a competent employee experience practices are not necessarily the things that HR comes to the table with. So being able to do detailed research, having a great understanding of technology and how it works and how it impacts people's daily lives, those are just not things that are always in the wheelhouse of HR. It needs to be collaborative. And Keith, to your point, if everybody owns it, nobody owns it. Therefore, someone has to own it. And someone it can't be the CEO because the CEO is too busy too, but that someone needs to report to the CEO. So we've started to see organizations have experience practices that encompass both CX and EX. I think that's an interesting model. I can think of some reasons why that might not be a perfect idea, but at least to me, that's better than either the everyone owns it or the HR owns it or the IT owns it options. So that's one space that I think is potentially an option. Or we do see dedicated EX practices that exist in sort of floater roles in organizations that they will go around to different parts of the organization, almost like a center of excellence model and work with different parts of the business. So I don't think employee experience is so mature at this point that there's a right answer. I continue to believe that it has to be something that is designed and crafted for the needs, the goals, the KPIs, the strategy of the organization, rather than being a one size fits all. I would say that right now, what we also see most often is a group of people, right? It's a coalition approach where you have representatives, you have an EX council or an EX group, and you got representatives from across the organization who all participate in this and then have accountability uh, for executing their part of it. Um, I've been really blown away, frankly, by some of the people that I've met in this uh, in this world. Um, one woman I remember we interviewed for this research, Katie, where she was a one-woman show, and she had built impact networks, as she called them, all over the organization to execute on these things. People were... Um, signing up to take ownership of different pieces of it, and then we're we're moving with it, and they're part of the organization. I think uh, uh, that was really you know a powerful example to to see. But that's one woman owning the EX initiative, and you know, so if many people own it, then maybe nobody does. I struggle with that, and y your research showed that like sometimes it's a CMO because presumably you know he or she has. Uh, the EQ and the sensibilities of the brand uh, to have it. You know, there's been COOs in the mix, 
but uh, there's a, you know there's a mix. And so who does that coalition report to is is what I want to get at. I want to I want to give a good advice here. Well, the the good news about this is is that there is pieces of this that everybody can can benefit from and take and be willing to take ownership of. When you think about a COO, there is goodness in here for a COO, right? Things get better for the COO if they're willing to take on certain parts of this. Things get better for the CMO if they're willing to take on certain parts of this and, and agree for what's going to be done. So, I think the right answer is right now with conventional organizational structures as they are, the coalition is about the best way. So that's cool. So if there's any parting um, advice that we may get is that if you're going to develop an EX program, you got to really center it around the employee and then you need to connect the dots. So um, how about you just make the case? What dots need to be connected to make sure that we set up the employee experience program for success, regardless of who owns it? Yeah, uh, I would say the first dot that needs to be connected is the value dot, right? The leadership team needs to really buy into the value of their employees and their humans. And it may sound surprising, but I have interacted with CEOs who don't see that value, who don't necessarily believe that their employees are as important as they are. So if you have an executive that doesn't see that value, you're going nowhere with your employee experience practice. And then the second thing I'll say is knowing the outcome you're trying to drive is so important to the launch of an EX practice. It's a very large endeavor and it can be easy to try to bite off way more than you can chew in your first month, two months, six months, a year. And we have certainly seen EX practices that try to boil the ocean and it doesn't work. So the second dot I would say is, where's your biggest bang for your buck? What's the impact you're trying to create? Go after that really hard initially, show some traction, get some people to start to become invested in the idea that that work is important and matters, and then you can build on that. So those would be my two pieces of guidance. I agree with you and, and everything you just said and all those pieces and the value. And I've seen situations where people working inside their organizations trying to sell the senior executive team on this, right, are, are doing hard work and they're getting there, right? So don't be discouraged if your leadership team doesn't get it yet, right, It's uh, or doesn't really have a, a native understanding of it. Part of our job and part of anyone's job with this is to help them, you know, with positive regard, right, help them get there. But... To do that requires the research piece, right? You've got to have a good basis for what you're what you're proposing here. The, the, the surveys that you're doing, the science that you're basing this on, um, how you go about developing a strategy, how you operationalize this strategy so that it just becomes part of how you work as a company, how you communicate about this uh, to others and so on is all part of it, right? Those are all pieces that come together to make employee experience work. Excellent advice as always. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, thanks, great to be here. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, or drop us a note at podcast at Thanks for listening.